If you open to Ephesians 5, we're going to continue this morning a series we began some weeks ago on the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Spirit of God who dwells within the believer. And what does that look like in our life? What does that look like in our day-to-day? Why did Jesus send the Comforter? Why did he say to us, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send you one? What does this one do in our life? We've talked about the identity of the Holy Spirit, that he's God, third person of the Trinity. We talked about the significance of that. We've talked about the work of the Holy Spirit. What, what does the, whole, the Bible say as an overview? What does the Holy Spirit do? We talked last week about a baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that as believers were baptized at the moment of conversion, we're baptized into the family of God. And sometimes, not sometimes, oftentimes, it really helps to differentiate between terms. Because the baptism of the Spirit, as we talked about last week, is what happens at conversion. We're baptized into the family of God. And, and, but this morning we're talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit, which is different. And we find that in Ephesians 5. You see, Christian believers have the Spirit by virtue of being born again. And I would suspect, as Christians, we all would agree that we need to regularly experience a Spirit-filled life. To walk with the Spirit. That we all need to depend upon the Spirit's power in our behavior and in our witness. We need to be open to experiences for God's Spirit to work regularly in our lives. We want to cultivate, I believe, a deeper dependence upon God's Spirit. And so I think we agree on most and some very significant things. There will be some things we disagree on, but let's make sure we camp on those things that Scripture is very clear on. Namely, our dependence upon the Spirit of God. We have full access to God's transforming power at conversion. But that need not apply that each of us has appropriated all that power in our life. And I would suspect that most of us would admit in practice that we might later yield areas to our life, to the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's an ongoing journey, and we're all at different places. And that's, that helps us respect each other, helps us encourage each other as we, as we follow Christ. Paul speaks in the book of Galatians, in the book of Ephesians, and many other places, that a Spirit-filled life, or, or one that's walking in the Spirit, means that someone's, that we're, to a degree we're yielded, to a degree we're aware that there's an understanding, but there's also more than just an understanding. There's a sense of surrender. That's a tough word, easier to say than do. And that word has a lot to do when we talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. I want to read Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 21, and we'll talk more about what this is to be filled with the Spirit. Therefore, be wise how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we come this morning to learn your truth. 
There are a lot of voices in our world we encounter each week. Voices of our culture that ring loudly. The deceptive voice of our enemy. We ask, Spirit of God, that you would silence all those voices right now and it would be just yours we hear. And we hear, Lord, not, not just to understand in a, a knowledge sense, but God, to be transformed, to have our minds renewed this morning so we could see as you see and become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, as we talk about, verse 18 talks about this phrase, but be filled with the Spirit. We need to, there's some things we need to clarify regarding that that are really, really helpful to us. One is verse 17 to 21 is a one long sentence. So we've got to be careful grabbing verse 18 out of the middle and plucking it out of there and kind of running with it. We don't want to do that. So understand there's a long sentence and a context here. And so the issue of the filling of the Spirit is crucial in the context of those other things we'll talk about. Also, the phrase be filled with the Spirit is imperative. In other words, it's a command. We're never commanded to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're never commanded to be sealed in the Holy Spirit. We're never commanded to be gifted in the Holy Spirit. But here we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. It's not a tentative suggestion. Not a mild recommendation. It's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. Now in Scripture, we're told over and over about different aspects of what that is. To walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. And those are probably similar ways of saying the same thing, but we're going to even break those down even more. But this phrase refers to an ongoing action, like walking, like keeping in step with. While baptism in the Spirit is the initial experience of Christ brought about by the Holy Spirit, it's intended that you and I walk continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a plateau in which we're trying to reach that other Christians don't. It's not like that. It's not a one or two time experience. It's to be a continuous daily action in which we're filled by the Spirit. The verb is also passive. Paul's not saying fill yourself up with the Spirit. He challenges us and he challenges his hearers in original context to be open, to be filled up by the Spirit. He's going to use an analogy here. It's really going to be helpful. But this idea of filling means to yield control to to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It's a command to all Christians to allow God the Holy Spirit to fulfill an ongoing function in our daily living. That is to fill us. Now, a great example, the Bible, when the Bible uses the word filled, it means controlled by. Here's a couple examples. In Luke 4, 28, those in the synagogue were told were filled with rage at Jesus' words. It means they were under, under the control of their rage, and it caused them to act the way they did. Acts 13.45, we're told the Jews were filled with envy. It means they were controlled by envy, and thus they opposed the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. And so when we see that word filled, think in terms of under the control of, and you'll get a good idea of what Paul's talking about here. Now, as we look at verse 18 in Ephesians 5, we back up to verse 15, and I want to notice something here. Very important. Paul says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Make the most of your time, because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's, let, what the Lord's will is. And so 
What Paul is saying really is the Christian life requires a couple things, diligence and discipline. The Christian life requires that we be diligent in the things of God and disciplined to walk them things through. Now notice the connection here. He then contrasts the filling of the Spirit with being drunk on wine. There's quite a contrast. So what happens when you get drunk? Why the contrast? Well, when someone gets drunk, inebriated, whatever words you want to use, they come under the influence of that alcohol. They're affected. They're captivated by it. They're motivated by the alcohol. They do things they would never do if they were sober. And so not only are they captivated by it and motivated by it, the alcohol activates a certain type of behavior in them, mainly fleshly behavior. Alcohol with a sinful nature together can be a really bad thing, bad combination. And so when we're drunk, our perceptions change when someone gets drunk. They don't see things rightly. Matter of fact, they often see that their drunkenness is normal behavior. They see things through a lens of drunkenness, through alcohol. It's not only their perceptions wrong. If you think about it, when someone's drunk, it kind of lets the wall down and they lose their sense of filtering behavior, filtering speech. There's things they would say they would never say when they're sober. There's things they would do. There's behaviors that take place that would never take place if they were sober. So they, when someone's drunk, they come under the influence of alcohol, but Paul says, in contrast to that, don't be filled up with alcohol for drunkenness. Be filled with the Spirit. Come under the control of the Spirit's influence. Be affected by the Spirit. Be captivated by the Spirit. Be motivated by the Spirit. Be activated by the Spirit instead of by alcohol. That's the contrast. It's a significant one. Because what he's going on to say is the Christian life takes diligence. It takes discipline. And the only way to get there is not to come under the influence of alcohol. The only way to become diligent and disciplined and understand what the Lord's will is is instead to be filled by the Spirit. It's a beautiful context Paul's bringing, bringing about here. And so the command is to be filled with the Spirit. It's to voluntarily put oneself under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It's not to sit around passively, waiting, for some big experience, but to surrender regularly to the Spirit's promptings, the Spirit's guidance, the Spirit's absolute ownership in leading in our lives. It's not really about steps. We like steps. I like steps. It's easy to get up here and say, hey, there's four steps right now for you to be filled with the Spirit. The Bible really doesn't give us steps to be filled. It's about an issue of coming under the control and surrendering to what the Spirit of God wants to do in our life. So to be full of the Holy Spirit means it's a habitual experience of having the Holy Spirit in the free and unhindered exercise of his attributes. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to exercise his sway and his dominion over every area of our life instead of the fleshly pursuits and selfish actions that so easily turn us away from him. And so if we think even logically, even more, How do you know if someone's drunk on wine or drunk on alcohol? How do you know? Well, one way, by the way they walk, right? Pretty easy. That's why police, when they pull somebody over they think has been drinking, they'll walk a straight line. They don't walk that straight line, they're going to the back of a squad car. Because when you drink and get drunk, I should say, it affects the way you walk. Also affects the way you talk. Speech is slurred. Again, you say things you never would. And so when someone's drunk, 
on alcohol. It affects their walk and it affects their talk. And guess what? When someone's filled with the Spirit, guess what it affects? The way you walk, the way you talk. Isn't it true? I mean, we think, when we think in terms of being filled with the Spirit, probably the last thing we think of is our speech. But the Bible doesn't let us get away with that. And we may not think so much about our walk, but you know what? When we're filled with the Spirit, our walk is intentional. It's purposeful. Our steps aren't all over the map as if drunk on wine, but they're purposeful. They're straight. They're locked in on the Lord Jesus. That's a Spirit-filled life. It affects our walk and it affects our talk. And ultimately, the purpose of being filled with the Christ is that we'd set our hope and our gaze on Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit will always lead you to follow and worship Jesus Christ. So it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives within us. So that he would increase, we would decrease. Might it continually be our prayer. Lord, give us a hunger for your spirit. Give us a deep desire. Lord, we're desperate for your spirit. Fill us so we could follow our Lord. Might that be our continual plea individually and corporately. Let's be a people desperate for the Spirit who cry out, more of you, God, less of me. Might that be our prayer. So being with the, filled with the Spirit is a command. It's about surrendering, yielding control to the Holy Spirit to the point it affects our walk and it affects the way we talk. But there are hindrances that you and I face every single day of our life to being filled with the Spirit. One of them the Bible calls grieving the Holy Spirit. The context of this is powerful and even life-changing. If you go to Ephesians, the chapter before this, chapter 4, I want to read verse 25 through 30, where we see the context of this grieving, this hindrance to a spirit-filled life. Therefore, lay aside falsehood. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer. But rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that we may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And, this is part of the whole thought here, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. The Holy Spirit's not going to fight you. He's not going to fight us. He indwells us, but he's deeply grieved when we begin to walk and talk in a way which hinders being filled by him. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We're not ready for a filling of the Holy Spirit when we begin to live in ways which hinder that. Now look, look at that context. It's amazing to me. Because what Paul is saying there, which we said in chapter 5, is if we don't walk and talk, the way God wants us to, it will hinder the filling of the Spirit. Because when we're filled by the Spirit, it affects the way we walk. And look at that passage, is loaded with the way we talk. 
If we're not filled with the Spirit, we're going to lie. We won't speak truth. We'll embellish it or kind of go down with our own perception of things. We're not going to work the way we should. We'll begin to steal. We're not going to watch and be careful with our speech. Instead, we'll be like we were drunk, careless with our speech. We won't be intentional with it. Look at that. According to the need of the moment. When we're filled with the Spirit, we'll consider the moment and what word is needed in that moment, in that situation to build each other up. That's a Spirit-filled life. It's very careful, very intentional, very sensitive and surrendered to what the Spirit wants to do in the moment. A Spirit-filled life doesn't have bitterness, wrath, anger, slander. Instead, a Spirit-filled life, in contrast, is verse 32, kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, That's the Spirit-filled life. Because when we're filled by the Spirit, it affects the way we walk. It affects the way we talk. Might it be our continual prayer. Holy Spirit, we're desperate for you. Fill us so we could walk and talk in a way which pleases you. Might that be our desperate plea. It's not just that we can grieve the Spirit. That's bad enough, because you can only grieve someone you're in a relationship with. You can only grieve someone who loves you. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, we're grieving one who loves us. We're grieving one we're in a relationship with. But we can also quench the Holy Spirit. According to Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. It means do not put out, do not put a damper on. Willful sin quenches the Spirit. That happens when we don't listen to God. And, and you've maybe been there. Maybe you've been in a department store and you've, you've sensed the Holy Spirit say, I want you to go up to that person. I want you to tell them about me. Or maybe you're somewhere in a park and you see someone who looks totally dejected and sad and the Spirit of God says, they need, they need some encouragement right now. You're my, you're my man, you're my woman right now, go. Or maybe in your time of prayer, the Holy Spirit raises a person in your mind and say they're in need, you need to send them some money. It could be any countless things where the Spirit of God is speaking to you. In those moments, we surrender to it. We're filled with the Spirit. It's evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Those moments, we reject it. We're quenching the Spirit. It will hinder our being filled with the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. We cannot ask God enough. God, fill me with your Spirit. Lord, help me to be a desperate person for you that you would use the way I walk and the way I talk for your glory. There's times, let's be honest, we need to confess our sin and say, God, I haven't yearned for that. I have been careless just like a drunken person. My walk's been all over the map. I've hurt people by what I've said. I've made wrong assumptions. My behavior has not been glorifying to you. We need to confess that sin and say, God, forgive me. We also need to confess, God, I'm really tired of trying to do this Christian life on my own. You've been there, haven't you? You roll up your sleeves and say, you know what, I can do this. And we try this process of sanctification on our own only to find out that we fail and fail and fail. We feel defeated. It affects, it's a hindrance to being filled with the Spirit. There are hindrances. But there are results when we do yield. There's beautiful things that come from spirit-filled life. 
How can you tell if someone's filled with the Holy Spirit? Some will suggest uh, someone's filled with the Holy Spirit when something miraculous happens. Some incredible experience that happens with miraculous signs. It's not really what the Bible teaches. As John Stott puts, the chief evidence of being filled with the Spirit is moral, not miraculous. It lies in the Spirit's fruit, not the Spirit's gifts. I agree with him. When we're filled with the Spirit, what comes out of our life is the fruit of the Spirit. Not the deeds of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. And specifically in this context of Ephesians 5, let's follow the, Paul's train of thought here. After verse 18, do not get drunk with wine. Don't come under the influence of wine or alcohol. Don't get drunk. Don't come under its control. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. What happens when we're filled with the Spirit? Why do we need to be desperate for it? Because first of all, our worship's renewed. You see it right there in verse 19. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It renews our worship of God. We speak differently. We sing differently. It becomes an ongoing, continual habit in our life of worship. Psalms are psalms, just like the book of Psalms. Hymns, songs to God. It's what they simply are. Spiritual songs are the prevailing character of worship is vocal. Could be singing. It could just be verbally giving praise to God in speech. Either way, when we're filled with the Spirit, there's a renewed worship. I remember some years ago, we had a father-son camp out and, um, back in Wisconsin and um, a couple guys, my friend Jordan and Eric, uh, dear brothers and I, were around the campfire. Got to be about 2 a.m. I'm not sure I've seen 2 a.m. in quite a while. But back in the day, it was, about, it was really, really early in the morning. And we're around the campfire, and they both play the guitar. And so they're strumming along. And we're singing, just kind of singing songs together. And, and, and that was fun. And, but I noticed as, as we kind of went on, it, we, we just kept going on. I really wasn't... I certainly wasn't singing to them. They, they, we, that would have stopped things. Um, and while we started out singing with one another, things changed where I, I kind of forgot they were there. And they kind of forgot I could tell I was there. And so we sang to one another, yes. But what became really rich is we worshiped among one another. It was really cool. And I think this has that sense of it. When, when we're filled with the Spirit, it's not just that we sing to one another, but we sing among one another. We worship among one another. And I can't tell you what a blessing that is. Sometimes I get to be up front and, and, and I see my brothers and sisters worship and I know a person over there is going through a difficult marriage or, or that person over there is battling sickness. That person might have lost a child or had a, a, a prodigal child go away and there they are, they're worshiping in the midst of incredibly difficult situations filled with the Spirit. You can't do that on your own. You can't manufacture that. That's the Spirit of God. Our worship's renewed when we're filled with the Spirit. And it's a beautiful thing. We sing individually. We sing corporately. It's the context of Ephesians 5, by the way, corporate context. True worship. A renewed worship happens when the Spirit of God fills us. It's also renewed fellowship. You probably didn't miss it. 
speaking to who? One another. Look around, one another. You see, the Spirit of God is, always will guide us to unity. Where there's disunity, that's never the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will never lead us to disunity. Always to unity. Always to one another. Always to build one another up. Our fellowship's renewed when we're filled by the Spirit. What a beautiful thing it is when our relationships deepen with each other. But when we act upon the flesh, that divides. But when we're filled with the Spirit, that unifies. It's a great picture. It's a beautiful thing. And maybe you've experienced relationships that maybe were, were at odds. And instead of fighting it, instead of speaking into it negativity, you allowed the Spirit of God to change your talk and to change your walk, and it transformed the relationship. Probably at a much deeper place if that happened. See, the Holy Spirit longs to fill us and renew our fellowship. A church that wants to be saturated by the Spirit must be a worshiping family. And a church that longs to be saturated by the Spirit will grow deeper in fellowship as you and I yield and surrender to the work of the Spirit in our life. Reach out to others. Build them up. Allow the Spirit to give you a word in the need of the moment. That's what a Spirit-filled life looks like. When we're filled with the Spirit, there's also, look at verse 21, a renewed submission. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. We don't like this word, let's be honest. We do not like the word submit. And if I was to poll everybody and say, why is one reason you don't like the word submit? It would simply be this. It's like i got to give up control. Isn't that the whole point of coming under the influence of the Holy Spirit? Sure it is. Be filled with the Spirit, we submit to one another. There's a renewed submission. You see, submission assumes the lordship of Jesus Christ. And here it's the context, a corporate context, of submitting one to another. It's an attitude action that gives up control and allows the Holy Spirit to so work in our life that we consider one another better than ourselves, that we don't look not only to our own interests but to the interests of others, where we esteem one another above ourselves, when we honor one another, when we care for one another, when we encourage one another, when we build one another up. That's the life of a spirit-filled Christian. That's what it looks like. There's a renewed submission. And Paul gets even more personal because if we were to keep reading, he talks about two specific contexts you and I can live submission out, marriage and parenting. Oh, if you're like me, we need submission in those areas. Who hasn't been in the midst of tension or in the midst of chaos in your home with your children going around, and deep down you're going, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. I'm about to wring their neck. Right? You've been there. And, and maybe if your marriage every now and then has had a little hiccup, you might have thought as, as frustration grows, Spirit of the living God, I'm about to say something really, really wrong. Grab and cut off my tongue, whatever it's going to take. I don't want to do that which is harmful. It, you see, when we're filled with the Spirit, there's a submission that comes along. We begin to listen better. We're not so bent on arguing our point but listening and building up somebody else, we submit to one another's needs. We submit to one another in, in the sense of coming alongside what God's doing in their life, not fighting it, not circumventing it. You see, there's a renewed submission when we're filled with the Spirit. Beautiful text right there. 
There's one thing I also have to talk about here, and that is when we're filled with the Spirit, there's a renewed power to do the very things I just talked about. But even more specifically, if Acts and the epistles teach you and I anything, it's this, that in order for the missionary church, in order for Elam to be a spirit-empowered people, it's not going to happen because of wide, persuasive word, wise and persuasive words or any craftiness. It's going to be because of a demonstration of the Spirit's power. When you're Spirit-filled, some dynamic comes into your life that was not there before. We have power to witness, which is primarily we have power to walk in victory and power to carry out why we're called to follow Jesus and why we're left on this earth. That's to be a witness When we're filled with the Spirit, there's a power to win the loss. There's a power in our speech that's now seasoned with salt, with grace that comes as the Spirit fills us. And maybe you think of times. You've been at work, saw a coworker in the cafeteria, came alongside him, and and for that, somehow the conversation got to Christ. You don't even know how it got there. You don't even remember what you said, but you're like, whoa, that was cool. That's the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's other times just with persons you didn't know what was going on in their life. God just led you to speak a verse or, or, or just speak some specific encouragement. You didn't know. But your words had such a profound impact. That was the Spirit. The Spirit took them and, and with power had an impact in that person's life that not just any other nursery rhyme would have done it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. We need a renewed power in our life, in our church, our churches. And it's the Holy Spirit that brings it. You see, being Spirit-filled means we don't seek a single experience, but a continuing relationship, a daily encountering Christ in the power of the Spirit. Might we, might God cause us to be desperate for His Spirit, to work in our lives and in our midst. To his glory. Let's pray. Our God, it would seem to me from this text that we really don't have a lot to offer apart from your work in our life. On our own, God, we're smart enough just to screw up our life. That's about it. But I'm so grateful, Jesus, that when you saved me, you didn't just pat me on the back and tell me to go get them. Lord, you didn't leave us as orphans and say, hey, figure this thing out by yourself. But God, you gave us your spirit who indwells us, who longs to fill us, to live a life we could never live on our own. And Lord, I'm praying in each heart here, the church here at Elam, our brothers and sisters and churches around us, Lord, by your spirit, would you renew our worship? Please renew our fellowship. Please renew our submission. Renew our power. And we know the place to start is individually. That we'd be yielded, surrendered,
to how you want to work in our life. Would you do that? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.